Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's your host, Lisa Haim, and I'm so excited to drop this week's episode. But before I do, I have a confession that I just must get off my chest. Okay, I'm still on the social media break. Well, I'm still on the Instagram break, but I have navigated my way onto a new platform where I've primarily just been consuming content, really just watching, not creating, but having a little fun creating too. And the platform is TikTok, and I'm fully aware that I'm like a year late on this trend, but I fully am grasping now how awesome it is. And I think what I'm kind of starting to think about is all these new social media platforms. There's TikTok. There's a platform called Clubhouse. They're kind of like different type of platforms where, at least from what I've experienced, I walk away feeling like I learned something. And I'm not suggesting that we spend more time on our phones. Hopefully you all know that I'm really about figuring out what works for you and taking time off. But there's something about consuming this information in a way that feels good for us. And I'm personally finding that on TikTok. Obviously, I need to have boundaries and not spend the entire day watching different clips. But I learn something. I laugh. I'm inspired by what somebody has to say. And it's just interesting to think about how different platforms can provide different types of emotions. So that's something that I'm kind of thinking about right now. I'm at Lisa Haim on TikTok. Maybe I'll post some fun things in the near future. I'm 
thinking about it. I'll tell you that. But anyway, the one thing that I have to say about TikTok is that people are authentically showing up as themselves. That's why I think it's kind of relevant to this conversation on the truthiest lives, whether it's this 16-year-old girl, Sienna May, that I follow doing a silly squirrel dance, or I found this hilarious grandmother whose bio says, follow me before I die. <laughs> I know it's a little it's a little dark, but her content is very, very funny. It's just people that are showing up as themselves. And one thing that is a little bit negative about TikTok is that people get a lot of hate. The comment section is very different than Instagram, where it kind of feels like your community or your friends. People talk about you like you're not there. And a lot of these people get such wild amounts of hate. And yet they continue to show up as their true selves. And I just find that inspiring. A few people that do inspire me are this girl named Sienna May, who's really young and came up with that silly squirrel dance. Just think she's super cute. There's this woman, Perfectly Kelsey, who I would love to have on The Truthiest Life. I'm just going to put that out there. She survived a domestic abuse relationship. She's now dating another TikToker. She gets so much hate because she's so authentically herself. But I just also love the way she kind of just gets through it and how she handles the hate and uses it to send out more love into the universe. There's another woman, Jacqueline Fransway, who I actually know her sister, but I didn't know about Jacqueline. And she does these really cute videos with her grandma. And you could just see how she brings life to her grandma's life. I just love it. Another woman, Hannah Jar, who's this healthy lifestyle blogger, but in a way that is so approachable. She's kind of like quirky and is always dropping stuff. So she naturally just reminds me of myself. Anyway, that's my spiel on TikTok. I'm enjoying it. We'll see where it goes for me. But just start to think about some of the places on social media that you can get joy versus other places that might drain you and where we all need to instill more boundaries nonetheless. The episode coming up is awesome. It is with Bernadette Pleasant, who I freaking adore. You'll realize out the door how unique this woman is. And after our chat, I actually realized that I have been emotionally constipated. And I so wish I thought of this phrase, but it was Bernadette herself. And I think it's a really normal thing that happens where we get into phases of our life where our emotions just get stuck inside us, whether we're going through something rough and we're just kind of in that cycle where we don't know what to do with it. Or maybe we're pushing down our feelings because we're afraid of what could come up. Or maybe we're just in a stage of our life where we don't know how to navigate these newer emotions. But Bernadette really helps us get clear on how we can go on a tour of our emotions, as she calls it, and give a voice to not just the fun ones like joy and gratitude that are super important, but also grief. And that's obviously one that I think a lot of us can relate to in this past year of living in the pandemic. Um, <laughs> but I think that her approach to movement and dance, letting the body lead and alternate methods of therapy have allowed me, as usual, from this podcast to better help myself. So I'm back in therapy now. And that was really thanks to recognizing how emotionally constipated I was and needing help during this phase of my life. And I can't tell you how much better I feel to flush these emotions, to let them rise and fall. I know you're going to love this episode, so let's jump in. Thanks, everyone, for being here, and I'll see you next week.
So hi, Bernadette. Thank you for joining us today. You are such a ball of energy and light, and yet you have quite the talent and drive for helping people access their range of emotions. So all those emotions, not just the fun ones that you seem to naturally emit. So I just want to say thank you for being here and bringing your energy. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, all those emotions, all those feelings and moods, I I, uh, I get off by that. Yeah, I'm turned on by <laughs> working with those vibrant things and bringing them to life. You are just so authentic and comfortable saying it as it is, even saying I get I off on that, I think is like a great <laughs> intro to who you are, whether you're like listening to you speak, watching you on stage, I've watched a lot of videos that you've done, or even the interviews that are written, like your vibrancy just comes across. But you clearly have so many talents and gifts to give this world. But I think it comes down to the fact that you are a true healer and an advocate for emotional wellness. And so for today, I kind of want to start there. Because as somebody who's been in the wellness space for a very long time, I can confidently say that wellness, as most people know it, actually competes or stomps on emotional wellness. It destroys it. A lot of the things that we do under the umbrella of wellness. So I want to know from you, what is emotional wellness, true wellness, and how can we or how do you honor that? Yeah, in a nutshell, emotional wellness to me is expressed emotion. Emotion that shows up that we can be curious about, that we're not ashamed of showing or feeling, And, you know, something that we're not trying to medicate, put to rest, ignore, hide, or just build up a wall of shame around. Emotional Mm -hmm. wellness to me means the ability to acknowledge this feeling, like whatever it is. An emotion is a reaction to something that has happened. So something we've read or thought about or a conversation we had, it is a reaction to an event of any sort. Mm And what I noticed is that many years ago was even if something fun happens and you just want to laugh about it, there's this monitoring of the laugh. Is it too loud? Is it too long? Is it too, is it going to make someone else uncomfortable? So now I'm cramping my, my joy. So mm. it happens in the whole wide range of emotions. But emotional wellness to me means being able to express it enjoy it, have it, allow someone else to do the same. And I do that more authentically when I am trusting and feeling safe and not worried about what others will think and when I'm not shutting myself down. I'd like to live that example and personally, and I'd like to, you know, show others that it's okay to do that thing. Beautiful. And so much of wellness that we see in the news, the media, social media is about the word you just said, shutting down parts of you, being prescriptive, whether it's the way you move or the way you eat or even the way you meditate, for example. It's all about do it this way or you're not doing it. Exactly. And, you know, I fell in love with wellness because it connected me to a part of me I didn't know, that free spirit that you so much embody. 
And I just think there's such a disservice going on in the wellness space that isn't acknowledging the most fundamental block that you're really addressing, which is if you are not emotionally well, which means giving access to just as much joy as you are pain, you can't get to that next building block of what do I need to eat and how do I need to move and what does my body need to show up as the vibrant me? So I think that's super important. Have you always been able to access this gift of yours of accessing emotion (laughs) and helping others access emotion. It's there naturally. So I think quite honestly, you know, if you look at kids or toddlers, they're, they're, they're expressive. They have to learn that something is too loud or too much or what have you. So Mm -hmm. there's this narrowing, if you will, or I, I call it this girdling or tightening around that expression. So I became aware that ways in which I was able to move physically and, and express express and and speak openly, I I was being taught to work in this narrow margin. Like, don't be too much. Don't don't color outside the lines. Don't do this. And and there became all these restrictions, but they were frustrating. I was not okay with that. I don't like wearing a girl shit, you know, you know, it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. good. And, And it didn't feel good. And so what I'm grateful for is as far back as I can remember, I remember uh, being in grade school and wanting to just share something that was truly joyous and dimming my light. And I thought, that just didn't feel good. And then I just noticed it so many places I just couldn't be myself. And yet I'm being told, you know, you can do anything. You can be anything. Really? I can't even laugh. But I didn't like that. So I started to pay attention to what was happening in my body and took this courageous and radical act of basically saying, you know, that's not working for me. And I can tell that it's not working for anybody else. They just don't know what to do. It's it's harder. To They're afraid just, to go out yeah, of the lines. They're afraid to not wear the absolutely. girdle, to take up space physically and you know do do all of that and I love I love what you said about like coloring in the yeah. lines because that's such a good example of one of the first things that we're taught of how to do something right right Indeed. but like what is right and even when you physically said a girdle you know I think a lot of my audience might not yeah. resonate with a gr- but but <laughs> Yes. Right. (laughs) So like and these things that we do to look better or under the guise of better are restricting us and our playing has an emotional toll on what we think we can do and look like. And to kind of say F it to all of that, be free, be comfortable is a radical act of uh, rebellion in in this world. And it comes off so benign, right? Like totally. I own Spanx and I'm really help people feel comfortable in their body. But, you know, these things that we, we you yeah. know, not that wasn't a knock to Spanx, but the idea it's, of it. Yeah, it's not. Course. It's definitely not a knock to it. But what um, the emotional, I mean, we do it to our bodies. Yes. And hell, I own some Spanx. I don't have them now, but I did. And or, you know, control top, whatever. The point is, We all want to look good. We all want to look good, be it physically or at least not standing out in a crowd with our emotions. You know, that that term, you're too emotional. You're noticing that even someone saying that, they're basically saying you are actually showing your humanity. 
stop that. Mm. Stop that, Oof. you know, like, or, yeah. or haven't you gotten over that or dealt with it? So there's this lack of patience and a lack of kindness around what someone might be experiencing. I love using the example of grief. So someone could truly be grieving. In fact, I think many people are grieving right now. Loss of freedom, yes, life, yeah. loss of, you know, life as they knew it all kinds of racial uprising, you name it, the inability to be in close proximity and just, I don't know, go to a yoga class, things that you used to do without a mask and without worry and concern. So life has changed in a big way. And whenever there's change, disappointment or loss, there's a grieving that happens. So are we acknowledging the fact that this sucks? This is not cool. I don't, I don't enjoy it. And there's a sadness. Do we even pause long enough to notice how we're feeling or we're just sort of, you know, we just have to get along and we have to make it happen. I don't suggest sticking with the feeling for the rest of eternity. I just mean slowing down enough to acknowledge it. For sure. And I hope that we kind of make our way into the amazing work that you are doing with grief. One of the cornerstones of the truthiest life is understanding the person who is the expert. So you have so many gifts that we're kind of going to get into. And I think by now people have already picked up on your energy. You're spirited, you're energetic, you're sensual, yet you're also very grounded and soft spoken, Mm -hmm. right? So it's very apparent that all of the work which you do has allowed for a harmony in your body and a balance that kind of follows. You're not, you know, as many people are calling it right now, toxic positivity, mm-hmm. you know, just, oh, just dance it out and feel good. The joy will come, right? Let me tell you, that does not work. <laughs> it have to be a long dance exactly. song. <laughs> but before we even like understand how you came to your craft to create it, I think that your personal story, your your growing up, your religious beliefs, your marriage and what you walked away from is really important for people to understand how the truthiest Bernadette became the truthiest Bernadette. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I grew up the oldest of seven and in New Jersey and somewhere in my it's been about age ten. My mom got very much involved with Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's a bit constraining. Talk about a girdle. And, you know, there's a right way of doing things and an expected way of being. And, you know, I think of some of the decisions that were made, uh, that I made and that were made for me at such young ages because of this. An example of that would be uh, at 16, being given an ultimatum because I had a boyfriend uh, who was also Jehovah's Witness. And I was told because they didn't believe in dating unless you were planning to marry. It was mm. sport dating or just living. <laughs> you know, um, uh, that was not something that was expected. So I was given an ultimatum to marry or stop seeing him. And I remember being, it's sort of like, I'll show you, I'll marry him. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. at this very young age, by God's sakes, I wasn't even out of high school. Here I am married. Living together? Oh, yeah. Wow. We we actually lived at his grandmother's house. And I mean, he was two years older than I, but, you know, I'm, I, we were 17 when I got married. So he's 19. Um, this is mm-hmm. certainly not a year in one's life to make serious decisions like this. <laughs> but, right. but this constriction, this this way of living just sort of created such frustration is the word I'm going to use because of course some years later I start to come into my own I start to have my own thoughts and ideas and things that I wanted to do 
And he wasn't having it. And I found myself one day, literally, and he wanted his family to, you know, be in in this religion. And he was all in. And I found myself just questioning, were these my beliefs? Or was this what I had grown up with? Things about like women's bodies and rights. And I realized what you could wear, wear, how my hair could be like, it was endless. And mm-hmm. I just decided this doesn't feel good to me. It, this doesn't align with my values. I have different thoughts that are not in agreement here. And, you know, you either follow this way of living and being and t- attending five many meetings a week and knocking on doors and doing these things, or you're out. And I had to make a decision because we had a young daughter. This is a few years into the marriage. And one day I just decided I'm not doing this. He, I, I don't want to go to meetings that where I don't agree. I don't want to do this thing that feels completely inauthentic. And I can recall my then husband coming home one day from a meeting that I decided I wasn't going to. And he was angry. He was he was angry and he was sort of just not speaking to me or you know, terse one word answers. And I just thought, this is my future if I don't make a change. And I walked out of the house that day and I remember there was no grand plan or what I was going to do, but this was then seven years into a marriage and I just decided I can't do this. I won't do this. And I walked out that day and I remember, I can recall that in an attempt to stop me from walking out, he grabbed my jacket, the collar of my jacket, and I just drew my arms back. I didn't even know where I was going, but I walked right out of the jacket and decided I can't do this anymore. I won't do this anymore. And that caused a huge chasm and family of mine that were witnesses. I was excommunicated from the congregation. It was a really tough time, but it was also really tough to stay in this environment that wasn't serving me, that I didn't believe in. So it's not just leaving a marriage. It's leaving all the people you knew, uh, your mother, your siblings, maybe. Absolutely. It really created quite a divide. I mean, that was, I'm 55 now. That happened when I was 26. And it has forever changed a relationship with family and friends who were witnesses, they literally cut you off. I haven't had dinner at my mom's house since then. And our family gets together on Sundays for dinner. Well, I remember when we had a brief phone call and I just wanted to learn a little about you personally, you said something that I think a lot of people can relate to for one reason or another, which is you feel like you have lost a parent, even though she's alive. My mom is very much alive. And but however, there is a boundary there. What I've been told is if you want to come back to the religion, we can have our relationship again. However, if you are not interested in coming back, you know, this divide remains. So no, we don't speak. And that's very painful. There are siblings of mine that are still in the religion and they feel the same way. If I want to return to the religion, we can be in relationship. So it is conditional and I miss them dearly. However, I'm not willing to sacrifice my life, my, my way of living. And it it must feel interesting and relatable to many people that to unconditionally love somebody and have them conditionally love you. 
you. And that's not the fact. They do love yeah. you, right? But what it feels like, I should say, because I think religion is, is so powerful. And, you know, you said your mom found it when you were about 10 years old. And you said there's a right way to do things. And I think that's what religion does. It defines what's not black and white and makes yeah. it black and white, right and wrong. And if you don't lip prescribe by that, you get to learn the beauty that there is no right or wrong. But yeah. if you do prescribe that, it's very clear. Do I go left or do I go right today? Yeah. And that takes a lot of expected anxiety out of the picture, because I think you and I, who kind of live from a place of trust, mm -hmm. you know, I used to struggle a lot with anxiety. That was before I trusted myself okay. with trust and connection to the mind body. Do I go right or do I go left becomes very clear yes. without rules. Do and, I feel like we kind of feel that totally, way together. And that is an internal checking mechanism. You're paying attention to what's happening. Like how energetically does I do I feel? Am I feeling weighted by this responsibility or this thought or this thing I need to do? Or am I feeling, is there lightness? Is there is there vibrancy there, flow, or, or am I feeling stuck? And it's sort of like I'm doing something out of drudgery versus desire. And I want everyone listening to Google Bernadette Pleasant <laughs> and watch her either on stage or doing your your trade, which is dance mm -hmm. and healing, which we'll get to. And you will see the state of flow in which you live in. And it's so inspiring to me because not only is it evident that your work translates to your body's chemistry, but what I personally love, I'm a little bit younger than you. <laughs> I'm 32 okay. and I think you're a proud 50, yeah. mid 50s. That's it. Yes, right? I know. Yeah. And you're so comfortable in your own skin. And I think in, in our world, we're really taught that as you get old, you kind of get stale. Yes. <laughs> you know, you should move less. Your makeup should be on perfect. All those things. And when I see you, you're just, you give off so much because you're just so in your body and your sensualism yeah. and you're in your flow. I, indeed. Thank you for noticing that. But And I will say this thing, you know, who made these rules and are they happy? Like, is it... Well, who said these things? You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be shopping at Forever 21. I'm not. I'm not. And it's okay. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm about any, at any given moment, a half second away from a hot flash. So I am very aware <laughs> of where I am. But, you know, people will say, you know, how does it feel to be 55? I don't know. I, I, it felt like, you know, do I notice things changing? Absolutely. And I'm just rolling with them. I am very much alive. I'm, I might move a little slower, but I'm, I'm, but I, there's a difference. There's a deepening. I'm moving richer with the wisdom of mm -hmm. what I've wow. learned. And I've also learned that living in shutdown is some bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is really, because it really is. It's, it's, it's not what I'm here to do. I am here to yeah. use my life force energy. I'm here to have some fun. I'm here for growth. I'm, I'm here for living the fullest potential and I am hungry and excited for like what's next. I'm curious. And so if we really examine that sentence, it kind of became very clear to me that we age poorly, not you, but most people, because we are restricting yes. so much and putting so much resistance into everything we do or 
don't do. Mm -hmm. If you can flow through both the good and the bad and spend more time in joy and even through the hard stuff, you can embody a younger body. I don't I don't mean a younger body in the way it looks, but the way you feel inside yes. your body doesn't need to be so hard. So perhaps there is something to <laughs> mental resistance and aging. You know, what came to mind is this study that I became aware of that was just fascinating to me. People entering programs in, in facilities for aging people, that they're literally, their face muscles have atrophied. And this is in a, a large percentage of, and they don't make expression. This comes from a life of not using your face to make expressions, literally. So that mm -hmm. sort of numbing of the muscles, the face, literally is doing something physically to our bodies. The inability mm -hmm. to show expression shows up where those muscles literally atrophy. One's physical muscles can atrophy. Imagine what their minds are doing. Imagine what their life force energy is doing because of that way of not rocking the boat, not coloring outside the lines, living in that narrow margin. There's no fun there. Yeah. And even just like smiling and laughing, which, you know, like you said, laugh, but don't laugh too much. Right. Smile, don't show too much teeth, all those things. Your natural smile, your natural laugh also produces dopamine Indeed. and serotonin, the feel-good hormones, which are neuroprotective. Yes. So all the things that we've been told not to do protect our yeah. mind. And so everything's atrophying or I'm not sure yeah, if I yeah, use yeah. that <laughs> verb, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> but everything is kind of getting smaller because we're not allowing ourselves to be expressed. And don't get me wrong. I'm not like sitting here aging at 32 being like, this is wonderful. <laughs> but there is something exciting about allowing your expressions to exist yeah. if you know that it can be great for your brain. Yes. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
So I heard you use the expression emotionally constipated in an interview, and I absolutely loved it. What does it mean to be emotionally constipated? I mean, you just put it perfectly. I mean, it's when I think of being constipated, and we've all been there, that's not exactly the post we put on Instagram, but you know, we've all been there. But it's basically, you just, you, you impact it, backed up, it's uncomfortable as hell. And talk about not being in flow. It's just not there. And so if we stifle our own reactions to something or our thoughts, um, we, we literally just keep holding back and squeezing back. And so, yeah, there's no movement there. <laughs> that is truly being emotionally constipated, compacted, and it's uncomfortable. Have you been there personally to- Hell yeah, that's how I can describe that. Yeah, yes, okay. I have been there. Right. I've been there whenever I didn't open my mouth. I've been there when I've noticed that when I didn't believe in myself, I've been there when I'm dealing with imposter syndrome. Yes, I've, I've certainly been there. In case anyone doesn't know what imposter syndrome is, can you just tell us? Imposter syndrome, that-, that that who me, who am I to do this thing? Oh, someone else has done it. They've done it better. Why would I write the book or speak on the podcast or write the post, whatever it is, have the conversation. I should have more learning, um, more degrees. It can also manifest its way in those who are trying to perfect something and therefore they live in the procrastination and not getting it done. They're not willing to be messy. But imposter syndrome is, is not believing that you are capable of doing the thing. Right. And, you know, so many we've talked about women a lot here that we've learned that there's a way that we can be too much, whether it's the way we dress or the way we speak or the way we move our bodies or whatever, whatever it is. What about men, though? I know you yeah. a lot of your work is mm -hmm. with women, but you still you do work with men. Do you find that when working with men, they have it even harder because they have to put on that tough guy exterior even more than we do, which makes them the most emotionally constipated? Indeed. There, there are certain things for sure. Gender, I definitely notice it in gender. I notice it in certain ethnic groups more so than others. But with regards to men, by all means, there's an inability to be comfortable with showing vulnerability. They have learned and gotten the story very early on to be strong, that boys don't cry, that they are supposed to know and lead and show no weakness, and that vulnerability is considered weakness. It's a huge misconception. Strength comes from being vulnerable and showing that. A willingness to show that takes an immense amount of strength. And so men are more reluctant to come undone or to show that. Healing only happens by being witnessed. So if you're going to hide this thing or put on the mask of I'm fine when you're totally not fine, for whatever reasons, I, I'm a man and that looks weak. I think women will be less attractive if I if I share this honesty. Well, where do they get to do it? And what happens, what becomes of their psyches as a result of not expressing that when they just learn to live with that emotional constipation? I feel like as women, we know what we're afraid to not do. We can verbalize yes. it. 
men almost can't even get there because the expectation is even higher where their mind can't even go there. And so what is it like when you see a man emotionally relieve himself when when it when it flows from a man? Is it just like as it would from a woman? It can be, you know, it's really at the at the end of the day, it may take a little longer. But just like women, one of the things I notice, I think about a, a gentleman that wrote me an email a few days ago, right after a grief ritual that I did. And he's pouring out what he's grieving. And he's saying, I've tried therapy, I've tried 12 step program, and I can't cry. And he's saying this, I mean, to me to just to recognize your recognize it and to see it, I think is is so on the way to healing, just even being able to express that thing to me, allows him to be seen in that way, whether we ever have a session or not together. The fact that he Mm. even wrote that letter and hit send is more than what I think most will do. I think what happens is there's a lot of sleep loss. There's a lot of pills popped. There are a lot of uh, binge watching on things endlessly or eating or drugs or whatever. That energy is going to turn to something. In, in excess, sleeping, whatever it is, there's some kind of internal need to self-soothe, to get shopping, whatever. That, that used mm-hmm. to be my yeah. bias. Dear God, I mean, I would just shop. I would shop because it felt good. It was instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a distraction from what was pain, my pain. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a propensity to not speak up more so for men to not say the thing. Um, They haven't necessarily formed close enough relationships where they are intimate, where they Mm. can speak to this thing without feeling judged. To have anyone else be their witness, like you said, you know, probably I don't I'd imagine I'm making this up, but the statistics of even women to men that go to therapy, you know, so it doesn't really matter who's the witness as long as there's somebody holding space saying here you can let it out. And, you know, men, they don't form the same type of relationships with obviously this is a generalization, but most of the time men don't form the relationships us women have where we I don't know, my 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 text with my girlfriends, (laughs) like if anybody ever saw those, the things that we talk. about you know they're so deeply intimate and shame free and i don't know think many men have that experience because they associate that with i don't know if they they'd call it weakness but i'd call it weakness and it's just foreign to them you know there are things that people will say as a way of protecting themselves i don't want anyone in my business they won't understand or just the i don't know they don't want to themselves bother and get curious enough about what they're feeling. So they'll just, they don't know. So these mm-hmm. things happen, but the ability to have places where you can do that is, it's so important. So in your philosophy, you know, we've been told to contain ourselves. And the reality is that when you feel your emotions, you can live a more vibrant life. Yes. So you created FEM. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about FEM and how it came to be? Yeah, FEM is in and of itself is a 90 minute movement practice. So it's 90 minutes and, you know, people would say, yeah, it's not a dance class, but there is movement in it. And I don't teach dance. This is just what does release and sounding look like? We are exercising emotions, literally like going to the emotional gym and and starting to work on what does it look to 
you know, have a little workout with each of these emotions. So I embedded in the 90 minute experience, which is done with live drums. And there's a reason why I use live drums. It actually calms the sympathetic nervous system and just has us just get into a state of where we can just be honest, that drum being the first sound we've heard. But there's something called the emotional tour. And the emotional tour is put together to have these little short stops, if you will. It's like circuit training. So we'll stop at joy, we'll stop at, at, at grief, at rage. And we're moving through them, shaking in between some of the emotions. But it's giving sound and movement and action to each of these emotions. And just being in the bubble of what that is what it feels like, where you feel it in your body. And it's truly just acknowledging the emotion that may have been just numbed to death. Like waking, waking that up. In this 90-minute session, you go on a tour of all the emotions. So no matter who shows up to that class, they're going to go on the tour of emotions with you and you're going to provide some prompts. movement mm-hmm. or prompts, yes. prompts mm-hmm. to help them invite that stagnant emotion to come through yes. them. And notice where they're, what their relationship is to it in that moment, no judgment. So there's movement, there's sound, they're noticing. So for example, if their first emotional tour stop being joy, like where did you feel joy or do you feel joy in your body? What color is it? Where, mm-hmm. what, what is the body part? Acknowledge that body part where you're feeling it. For me, it's in my belly right now. How does that want to move? and sound and and it's it's actually just allowing you to play for a few minutes and really paint the picture of this emotion what sound does it want to make what does it need what does it feel like in the body just being aware of this and people return to each session and you know the sessions don't change but you do and therefore mm, each time you come to it is a very different experience we we deal with we also there are emotions like uh, confidence and flirt and we're playing in there Um, desire. What does that feel like to truly want something? And then rather than just say, I want this thing, you know, what does my body look like to even receive that? It's one thing to say, I desire to live in Kauai. I do. Yeah. Hilltop, you know, overlooking the ocean in February. Get real specific about your desires, but also what would it feel like to receive that? The difference between desires and wishes is to really believe that you can have it. I think your work, and I've been in this space for a while, is one of the most genius that I've ever heard. To offer a space in 90 minutes to go through that, the fact that you're with, obviously pre-COVID, I imagine, with other people to go back to being that toddler that you explained who laughs as loud as they want and cries as loud as they want and shakes their body as much as they want as an adult really breaks down the barrier, not just of what you allow yourself, but I would imagine in what you expect of others. Do you find that the ability to be compassionate to other people is strengthened by the work that your students do? Absolutely. I cannot tell you what it's like. So I refer to emotions as being like weather. We don't judge weather. We really don't. We check the forecast. It's raining today. Grab some boots and an umbrella. You know, it's snowing. You know, the winter boots and a coat. We just do what's necessary to do the thing. When our body has some weather show up, grief, anger, frustration, joy, whatever it is, rather than shame it, how do we make allowances for it? What does it need? What do I need here? I think when we acknowledge our own emotions, show them, share them, there's no shame 
we can then recognize when someone else is experiencing some weather and we're just like, okay, well, what do you need? There's compassion, mm-hmm. there's kindness in that. And we actually get to show our, our humanity, that we are decent people caring for one another, not rushing them through that, you know, we, there's no time for those tears right now, you know, allow someone to have that so that they can get through something and not over it. I feel like I could already just apply that to my relationship with my husband. You know, when he gets cranky, I'm very quick to, you know, don't take that out on me. But I think we need to maybe like as a parent would child a friend or a partner, not personalize it, you know, like let them just go through that for a minute and work through it rather than cut them short because of how I think, obviously, I won't be taken mistreated. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes you got to just give someone space to just kick and scream. And however that kick and scream is presenting itself, it's not always in the form of kicking and screaming, Mm -hmm. is important. And I think we don't allow that in relationships because we think there's a standard of we should just be happy or why can't you just be grateful for all that we have, you know, and you can be grateful, but still need to kick and scream. Absolutely. And you can, you can do, you can do both. And it's that unexpressed thing is what creates the tension and the frustration, bitterness. That's when you get those, you know, little tight answers and things like that, because someone has something that they need to get off or they need some time and space. They're not working Mm -hmm. on the timeline that perhaps you would like them to work on. And that's okay. That's okay. I think just allowing for that, taking ourselves and our own personal needs out of what they may need. So now with COVID, is FEM happening online? Yeah, it happens once a month. Oh. I teach that class once a month once and a month. it is, it's wonderful. Do people keep their cameras on? on yeah, Zoom they are or? invited to do whatever they want. I I tend to, most do. And it's fantastic. I, my, my Seems drummer, like that's a big part of the experience. Yep. My drum, no, no, my drummer's there as well. And I love bringing those drums in. It makes a big difference. Some of my teachers teach without the drums, but, and it's totally fine. So it's being offered by others. Yeah, making the switch to Zoom was, okay, how do we do this? Because the need is even greater now to uh, express these pent up emotions. There's a lot of emotions right now about, you know, with so much going on in the world. And you don't just do femme, you also have these grief rituals, which you touched upon. Can you tell us about these grief rituals and uh, what happens when you hold space for people to go to these quote unquote dark places? It's such an honor and a gift to be able to hold that container. I do that with a beautiful human named Sarah Nix. And we do it about every six weeks. We just did one this past Sunday. And people from all over the world come in, men, women, all ages. And we've been trained to do in-person grief rituals and following a tradition that actually uh, came from West Africa. But it is that is an in-person grief ritual. Sabanfo Somme, who of Burkina Faso in West Africa, she moved many years ago to California and she asked this very interesting question to people there. Uh, she was experiencing some grief. She said, you know, what do, what do you do here when you're grieving? Like you can imagine how blankly people stared at her, like, yeah, I don't know, medicate it. <laughs> like put it, you know, like, I don't know, go to, go to bed, hide it. And she said, wow, that really explains a lot. So what she started doing was something that her tribe would do, and that was have these grief rituals. She said, there's always one going on and that that it's a normal process of moving through whatever you're grieving to more spaciousness, 
which is what happens mm-hmm. when one does slow down enough and that they're truly compassionate with themselves and being gentle with their grieving. So our intent was to do it in person and uh, we will do that at some point, but the moment we couldn't meet in person anymore, we decided we won't offer that program because that is very specific in the way we want to honor the way that is done in the tradition in which it's done. Mm. But what we did was create what we could do online for people to come in. And wow, the first time we did it, we realized, oh, the Zoom room, unless I upgrade, only holds 100. We couldn't believe how many people came. (laughs) Wow, more than 100? And the need, the need, and they, it just came, kept coming. Well, of course the need, but the willingness is what impressed Exactly. The willingness to come, to check it out, to stay. Um, I think people didn't expect a movement component. And not that there's any dance, but it's also like we are aware that emotions live in the body. And so there is a moment when it is done in ritual. So there are some basic rituals at the beginning. We do what's called grief study hall. And that is where there's some music playing. People can do whatever they need during that 20 minutes or so where they're journaling or if they want to sit quietly and cry or or if they want to meditate, rest, go on camera, off camera, doesn't matter. This is their time to do whatever they like and it's it's not recorded so that we are just keeping the sanctity of what this is. It is amazing how many come every single time to this thing and it's beautiful to be able to hold that sacred space, non-judgmental, 90 minutes. Right. And like I said, like, you know, when you, when I watch you move on the Internet, I haven't seen it in real life. I hope to attend a, at least a femme class in the near future and then hopefully grief yeah. as well. And because you can't just, you know, got to go through it all. We all have it. Yeah. <laughs> It's just it's so amazing to see that somebody who emits so much like light and flow also has access to so much of their pain. You flow because you're hitting all of those corners there. All of those corners. And, you know, one of the things I find that when people do not know how to express grief is because they're impatient with themselves. Why am I grieving? We t- one of the things we do in that is talk about the gateways of grief and the reason why not breaking down things into But putting them in categories, sometimes you're grieving for the world, for parts of yourself that have not not known love and been acknowledged, or loss. There are just many gateways. There are five, in fact, that are these general categories of grieving. And most people can find themselves in one of them. So all that we're talking about is within the Emotional Institute, correct? Mm -hmm. Kind of the broad category. And I think your newest program is called 400 Years, If Not Now, When? And this is such a timely program that I personally just want to hear more about and how it's going to work. So can you tell us about this very important program? Yeah, its title is 400 Years, Unlearning Racism Through the Body, Deep Listening and Storytelling. It's a four-month program. It meets twice a month. I do that with a team, and it is phenomenal. It came about uh, shortly after George Floyd's murder, and I was getting lots of calls, um, dear friends of mine, predominantly white people who were asking, like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I read? I need to do, I want to do something. And what I was hearing was, I was hearing incredibly beautiful hearts and people who were well-intended, but I was hearing such angst in their body and such this sort of lock in and I, I got to do something now. And I thought, well, it, first of all, 400 years, it, it's actually 402 <laughs> be exact, but it didn't, it didn't get here in an instant. So fixing it won't happen in an instant. What, what's necessary 
yes, we need the help. We also need you to understand and learn something. And I want to do that in an environment that makes you feel welcome to come to the table. That is our theme at 400. Come sit to my table. I love to entertain. I, it's, it's one of the things I enjoy. And one of the things I love most is sitting around the table in the ease and the comfort and for people to feel welcome in the home. So that is the feeling when I created this program. I wanted an anti-racism program that existed where there is no shaming, there's learning. It is important to learn some history, but it's also truly important if as we move forward into this new way of being with everyone's eyes wide open, it is excruciating for everyone. And I'm aware of that. The team and I are deeply aware of that. What I felt was necessary was that if we become intimate, if we focus on the relationship, how do we get to do better? How do we get to do better together? We study axiology, this understanding that people from northern, more colder climates have have a different way of viewing the world because of what's important to them, shorter growing season for food and what have you. People from the equator have food year round. So we look at each other differently. Those from the north might see those from the equator as being lazy. Um, they, They don't move in the same time frame and what have you. Those from the equator might see the northerners as, as cold in family and relationships don't matter as much to them. And neither is right or wrong. It's, 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 it's about understanding so that we can combine and move together. So it is important to me that people are able to come together so that we can create this new paradigm, that we can take this irritation of this time Yeah, this irritation of differences, this irritation of not understanding, this irritation of what 2020 brought to a head. You know, that eight minutes and 46 seconds of George Floyd's murder was literally long enough that everyone stopped and was like, oh, wait a minute. This is this is the ring of fire right here. This is where a new paradigm is going to be birthed and we're all going to be uncomfortable and create something new and potent and better through this thing. There is no going back. It, it wasn't good for everyone. It might have been comfortable for some, but the old paradigm was not good for everyone. And it is time to move ahead with eyes wide open, hearts wide open, and a willingness to stay through the discomfort so that we are truly creating what's better, what's new, with new information, with w- the wisdom of what we've learned. And will you incorporate some of that movement, which is integral to you in this? Not only there's movement in in there, there are are stories. We have invited guests that come in. Uh, We do one one of our weeks that I'm most proud of is where we have a panel of Black men. Because I think so often, and and it's important to me, I can't talk about racism these days without the representation of Black men's bodies, because that's what's brought about a lot of things to a head. So it is important that voices are in there so that understanding is there so that we can move and go somewhere in a healthier way. It's hard to talk about racism without the body stiffening and getting tight. So we have to do things to take care of our minds and bodies so that we can be Uh. like, okay, I'm here. Sometimes you need to push away from the table. Sometimes you need to stretch, yarn, like what's going on in your body as you're taking in this information. 
we also have a book club in that group where we we read together. Uh, we read a book. We hope as many can come to the book sessions together. But everyone's reading the book, and we read my grandmother's hands because Resma Manikin's book is one of the best books I've found out there because it's speaking to the whole of who we are, and it talks about that discomfort and how. So often racism was not learned by someone saying certain things, but it was a bristling of the body or noticing how it, it, the, the messages were taught in a nonverbal mm-hmm. way. So it was learned right. through the body. It must be also unlearned through the body. Wow. I have not heard of that book, so mm-hmm. I'm going to check it out. And I'm also going to link oh, it yay. below along with all of your information. I'm sure uh, a lot of people are like me kind of thinking, OK, well, I want to experience Bernadette in motion and my own emotions in emotion. Uh, my audience is so, for lack of a better word, brave and willing. So I oh, wonderful. Yeah, they're yes, awesome. You guys are awesome. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm excited. So I just have some fun questions yeah. to tie it up with. Okay. So the first question we always ask our guests is, if you were a tree, what type of tree would you be? Oh, gosh. Okay. I, w- I would be a redwood. I'd be a redwood because I think they're majestic and big. But you know what I love is that they have those, uh, their root systems aren't deep. I would have thought they were enormous, but they must connect to others to ah. stand and to grow like that. Yeah. Yeah, that that is very fitting for you. And then the last question is, do you believe that everything happens for a reason? I do. And I need some understanding from the universe why some things have happened. <laughs> the universe has got some explaining right. to do. <laughs> Yep. I, I, I'm a person that thinks, you know, I everything happens for a reason, even if it hurts. Yeah. And we got to trust the process and something bigger than that. But I love hearing those answers because you never know what somebody's going to say, especially, you know, someone like you who is experiences pain every day yeah. from, you know, your, your family and your blood community. And yet you're still able to show up and help other people live their truth by way of moving their bodies and yeah. sound. And, and a lot of what is tribal and yes. true to you. Yes, indeed. Ancestral, maybe. I don't know. You know, there's something great about it. Yes. Well, I have taken a lot of your time and I want to say thank you so much for being here. You're such a breath of fresh air. And uh, we are going to stay in touch with you in all the ways. Oh, wonderful. I have enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much. Thanks to the audience. I'm just so happy to be here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. 
Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.